Exploring the natural world, one podcast episode at a time. This is For What It's Earth. Hi all, and thank you for joining me for another episode of For What It's Earth. And this mini-series, this is episode two of the Climate Change from Sky to Core mini-series featuring Samantha Reba. Say hi, Sam. Hello. So we are going to be digging deeper into the natural world and focusing on climate change impacts. And this week we are going over climate change and atmosphere. Last week we talked about general climate change impact, a little bit about the different perspectives and why people should be caring about mitigating climate change as well as going over some kind of keywords about climate change in general. But this week we're talking about air, clouds, precipitation, storms. We talked a lot about storms last episode. So this week, Sam's carrying the team with her weather knowledge, making a funny face at me. Okay. All right. But yeah, so, so, so enlighten me with like the very basics, because in my head, I know that climate change, human caused climate change impacts the air temperature, right? That's increasing. And then from there, I start focusing down. So I do not focus very much on what is happening to clouds. Somebody in one of my classes, I, I was teaching an iNaturalist seminar. And they asked me if there were any photo ID apps for clouds. And the first thing I was like, uh, I truly had no clue. I was like, you, you want to look at clouds? Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. But as an educator, I can't say that. So I was like, you know what? I don't know, but I'll find out the answer for you. And I found that there were like, you could take a picture of a cloud and it would tell you cumulonimbus or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. It's a whole aspect of natural sciences that I have severely neglected in my education. So tell me a little bit, paint me a word picture, if you will, of how human-caused climate change can impact (laughs) the stuff up there. I mean, um, it all starts up there, that's for sure. I mean, the whole kind of concept of human-caused climate change is from the amount of carbon dioxide that goes into the atmosphere. So that's, and builds up in the atmosphere. So that's, that's why our climate is changing. Um, And and the amount of greenhouse gases that are up there. Um, Yes, there are a lot of other factors, but if it wasn't for, like you had said last week uh, with the industrial revolution and, and the introduction of cars and all of the different um, like generation facilities that we have, if it wasn't for all of that, releasing greenhouse gases. So carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide, um, actually even hydrogen and oxygen are both considered greenhouse gases. If it wasn't for that, we would not be in this situation um, because that is really where it all starts. Okay. Um, So I know like you have carbon cycling that happens, you know, as things decay, goes into the soil, comes back out, trees, you know, take our carbon dioxide, turn it into oxygen. So that's kind of when I think of carbon dioxide in our atmosphere, it's much more on still very surface level. So when you say mm-hmm. it gets stored, 
or it just is up there? Is this like in the clouds or even above the clouds? No, even above that. Um, I should know the terminology uh, better than I do, but there are different levels to the atmosphere, just like we have different levels to the earth in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, core, mantle, crust, all of that. Mm-hmm. We have the same thing that comes up in the atmosphere. So that carbon dioxide is stored high up there, kind of like where people think of the ozone layer um, okay. is like these different levels of, of gases and where they get stored. Um, and the ozone layer was also, the, the hole in the ozone layer was right, that's another thing that a lot of people yeah. think of. <laughs> so I, I heard that that was kind of, kind of repairing itself is that true yeah so actually this is something I thought of um when we were discussing last time um that yes all these horrible things are happening with climate change but the earth tends to heal itself um it's it's happened over many different events that have happened right I'm sure the earth did not plan on having an asteroid crash into it millions of years ago um but it survived. So that it, it leads right into the ozone layer. It's healing itself. And the reason for that is because humans discovered, oh, CFCs are causing this issue. We should stop using them. So we stopped using them. And now the ozone layer is healing. That's awesome. What is a CFC? Um, they were gases in hairspray and aerosol containers. Oh, so now it's been replaced with different types of with chemicals. Other thi- yeah. oh, okay. I do remember people being like, don't use hairspray that hurts the ozone layer. And, but that was like many years ago that I heard that. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. That was I was like just like, I have no kids. connection as a small child to why. <laughs> What, what does hairspray have to do with the ozone layer? But okay, sure. I'll hear that. Here's um, some, some scientific words. Chlorofluorocarbons are CFCs. They are non-toxic, non-flammable chemicals containing atoms of carbon, fluorine, and fluorine used in manufacture of aerosol sprays, blowing agents for foams and packing materials as solvents and as refrigerants. Okay. Wow. Okay. So that was then as we would spray it, those, the big words that you said, the carbons (laughs) would go into the air and then they would just keep going up and up and up. Yeah. And I, to be honest, I don't know a whole lot about the forming of the ozone layer, probably because it would have happened before, you know, like I don't even know the time frame on it and it happened over Australia. So um, oh. Americans, of course, we didn't care because, you know, it was not an American thing, but, oh, okay. um, I don't yeah. actually know how it interacted with the ozone layer and why the hole formed, but without the ozone layer, um, we will get hit with more UV rays, which will lead to more sunburn, more skin cancer. Well, yeah, I said, I, I thought it was a, a concern of cancer and radiation. Exactly. Which I guess can lead to then a connection to plants because they're trying to eat the sunlight. So they would be radiated as well. Right. But, and but I, we also care. Yeah, that could change us. it. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
So, so that going back to how it affects the atmosphere is so that the higher level of gases that don't belong there, again, greenhouse gases are naturally occurring and they're normally in our atmosphere. Uh-huh. Um, but with the amount of increase from human impact is, is how it's affecting us. Um, to be honest, I don't know how it affects clouds over like just clouds. Right. Um, like we've talked about, it definitely changes storms and, and the amount and intensity of storms. Um, but it also is affecting the air currents and the way that the storms are moving, which storms move based on air currents and airflow. Um, so okay. that is, so that is definitely affected as well. Um, and, and air, not thinking of just kind of surface level air, but there's also obviously air in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. These higher level air currents are what's being affected. And then, like you said before, everything filters down and, and affects everything else below it too. Right. So these air currents, I, again, this is just me having a a severe gap in my environmental knowledge, but I know more about ocean currents. Do these air currents and ocean currents, do they kind of match each other in terms of like moving things around the planet? Yeah, pretty much. They definitely work hand in hand. Cool. So when you're, you're talking about the storms and those severe weather, weather events, obviously we know about them because they're impacting us directly. Like I'm not up in the atmosphere studying it. Um, but I know about all the, the crazy snowstorms that we've had, the ice storms, the hurricanes, super storms you mentioned last, last time. So what are some of the noticeable implications of climate change. Like I know I had mentioned as a kid, we had snowstorms and yeah, maybe once it was like above three feet in the Pennsylvanian mountains, which kind of made sense, but there weren't these super storms or what was there? There was a weird term, like bomb cyclone. Um, like just something Snowmageddon that, was a big one that they were using. Okay. But like um, the names for these things are getting really drastic. And, and they are not scientific terms. Okay. This is totally from the Weather Channel. And they just are a media source anymore. They are not a, I mean, yes, they provide the weather, but they come up with these crazy names and like naming snowstorms now. Like, oh, okay. Okay. Like, so that is truly just media hype. It is. However, um, surprisingly, last winter, I did notice Noah used one of these crazy names, and I can't remember which one it was now, but Noah actually um, picked up on it. And so I don't know if that was from like the PR standpoint of using media terms, catching people's eye, or is it a scientific term that now the science community is using? Wow. Oh boy. Okay. Interesting. So, so when we're talking about those air currents and they're creating these massive storm events that we've been having, how, how does human caused climate change impact storms specifically? Oh, it's a very big, I'm taking you back to your college college years 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Many years ago. Yeah. And this, I mean, this was atmosphere was uh, one of my kind of focuses. Um, atmosphere and geology, surprisingly, the two like opposite. Opposite, the two extremes. And then you were like right in between. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the, the storms are becoming more there are definitely more storms and also they're becoming more intense. So that's more of the issue that we're starting to see. Um, and their tracks are not as, uh, what's the word I want to use? Trackable, <laughs> I guess. Wait, um, is it harder to predict? Definitely. Yes. Okay. Uh, and hurricanes were always kind of difficult to predict to begin with, but um, like this, there's a hurricane right now that's coming up to Florida. Um, so hurricanes on the East coast start off the coast of Africa and they travel up across the Atlantic and go through, typically they go through the Caribbean and then somewhere they'll hit the U S uh, and it, it, kind of in typical form, it would either go into the Gulf of Mexico and hit one of the Gulf States, or it would just track up the coast and kind of go off the coast of Maine then. This storm uh, went up and hit Puerto Rico and then made this complete turn and is going like tour. It looked like it would go towards the Gulf. And now it's like, nope, I'm gonna cut completely across the state of Florida. So like the tracking of it, it was like, some people were like, oh, it's gonna go in the Gulf. It's gonna go up the coast. And then it just didn't do neither of those. Is that where some of the issues, I think, what was it, two or three years ago, Texas had a had a bunch of hurricanes, one after the other, hitting it. And that was so, like, the infrastructure there was not able to support that much rainfall and that much wind. Yep. Was that series of hurricanes also one of these just, like, what is happening hurricanes? I don't. I don't remember that one being as like weird tracking wise. It was okay. more the fact that there were like three storms in a row okay. that hit and they would hit like in the same spot. Right. Um, which we've seen that happen with tornadoes over the years. A lot of the same places get hit with tornadoes over okay. and over and over again. Well, that's that right there is something that has been a very, very clear change. I remember in little kids when we were like reading the wizard of Oz and they'd be like, yeah, there's tornadoes out in the Midwest. We're not going to get tornadoes in the mountains of Pennsylvania. That's silly. Pennsylvania itself would never get a tornado. And this, the past maybe two or three years have had tornado warnings and tornadoes touching down mm-hmm. repeatedly. Um, last year, there was a tornado that touched down and was very, very devastating right where I lived. Um, we were very lucky that the tornado kind of jumped. Um, and so we were over or under one of the places where it jumped. So it was insane devastation on both sides of us. Wow. Uh, so we were very fortunate that we didn't get hit, but many of the people that we know did. Roofs mm-hmm. were blown off. 
um, all of the trees, it was so weird to drive down some of these roads and just the trees were all snapped in half. Yeah. I didn't leave Pennsylvania, but now tornadoes are like, yeah, we're going to start getting those every, every summer now, um, into every fall. So is that also something that we can see as being like a climate change, human caused climate change? Oh, totally. And actually the, the term of tornado alley, like the geographic area has shifted. Um, I don't know if it's shifted in the education world quite yet. Like what I can remember looking at, um, like a science book with a Mm -hmm. map of the United States, that red, you know, oval where tornado alley was. Um, it now includes parts of Tennessee and Kentucky, um, Mississippi and Alabama are now included in that as well. And traditionally growing up, it was like Kansas. Yeah. Kansas, Idaho, Nebraska. Nebraska. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely, and, and tornadoes, especially you'll see too, that comes from those air currents because people traditionally think that tornadoes are, um, cyclical running perpendicular from the ground, but it's actually, um, air that is rolling. So parallel to the ground that is rolling and hits these updrafts of air currents that are, so it's like, it's like rolling pattern. Yep. And then when it hits it, it tilts the, the air up perpendicular and that's where you get a tornado from, which is interesting because when you look at video of a tornado, it looks like it's dropping down from the sky but it's just the clouds getting sucked into sucked that into air it. that got. So it's kind of invisible until it pulls the visible cloud. Down. Exactly. Yep. Wow. <sighs> okay. All right. Definitely not scary at all. No. Yeah. Invisible tornadoes. Sure. Oh, I know. That's oh what makes gosh. it like, because a lot of people, and I mean, I still do it too. You looking, you're looking up at the clouds and you see those big anvil shaped cumulonimbus clouds that they're storm clouds. Um, okay. So it's, it, it starts out really wide, kind of closer to the ground. Okay. Uh, or closer to, um, kind of that cloud level and yeah. then it builds upward and so everyone's waiting because they're like, oh, that's a storm cloud. It's going to drop into a tornado. And that's just, that is one of those air uplifts that's pushing the clouds up, which is why the clouds are going up then. Oh, and so normal yeah. air that's rolling hits that pocket. And yep. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Wow. That's very interesting. So that's just how tornadoes in general work, which is also right. why they are extremely hard to predict and right. that's not even Where a climate change issue that's just yeah. um that's just the that's loveliness just how, of tornadoes right okay that's just how air works but then i can imagine if our air currents are being impacted in such an extreme way that we would have more of them because there's more of these weird air pockets that are right sucking the, everything yep. into the sky and so another kind of the, um, the line between warm air and cool air, um, 
which would be warm fronts and cold fronts. So if you watch the weather, you'll hear them talk about that. And so one goes one way, one goes the other way. And when they meet in the middle, that's when you get these uh, fronts that often cause storms. So obviously with human caused climate change, you're having more mix of these different air currents. Like the air currents coming up from the South are hotter and currents coming down from the North are colder. So the more intense of a difference between the two temperatures, most likely the more intense that line, that front line is gonna be with storms. So when you say intense with storms, does that mean that the individual storm is that much crazier or they are more frequent? It could be both. Okay. It could be one, it could be the other, or it could be both. That's what we've been seeing at least. Um, I don't think there's a good enough answer to, to say one or the other. Great. (laughs) So then another thing that I'm seeing is that even the lows, like, you know, in summer, you get your summer storms. That's just normal. And in spring, you get your nice, cute spring rains, very refreshing. You get your wonderful snow melts. It makes the rivers rise lovely. And then in summer, you get your, your thunderstorms that don't actually produce any rain. It's just thunder up there. And then some, you get your crazy storms. Um, but I've been seeing extended periods of drought mm-hmm. as well, um, where there are no storms at all. So this summer was a pretty bad drought in Pennsylvania. I know much of the eastern and into northern portion of the state was uh, beyond just drought watch and into the, yes, we have a drought, it is official, everybody do not use, do not use water, do not irrigate your lawns, anything like that anymore. Um, And it was really uh, pretty long this Mm -hmm. year. And every year I've seen an increase in the time length of us having Mm -hmm. droughts. So if the storms are more severe, how, just how does the air current impact then where the storms kind of get deposited and why are they missing certain areas? This is going beyond my atmospheric knowledge. Okay. Uh, And it could also be the time that I've been out of the academic world. Um, And at least when I was in school asking these kind of questions, um, the answer we would get was, I don't know. Scientists don't know. <laughs> oh, so, okay. Um, that still could be the case. Right. It's, it's one of those things that we continuously are trying to learn about. Um, and it doesn't help that for all these years, the term climate change and saying you were a climate change scientist, like right. you weren't getting funding to even do the research. So right. scientific research takes a very long time. Yes, and so when it's really just starting, uh, I think that definitely causes pockets of, of misinformation. However, I'm sure um, an actual atmospheric scientist could probably answer that better than I could. Well, and that's totally fine. You don't need to know everything in the world. That's all. It's all good. It's all good. Um, but I think that right there is something that should 
really get us to realize how fast this is happening because you're saying, oh, well, this is probably how long I've been out of school. In a, in a human's life, we, we haven't been out of school that long. Like we graduated, I graduated 2014. You were 15. Yeah. We haven't been out that long. It's 2022 when we're recording. So it's been like nine, I can't do math, eight years, seven years, seven for me. Yeah. Under a decade since we graduated our undergrad. And maybe you had more atmospheric classes, but still like 10 years max. And this is how much information is changing, how much uh, science has been able to do research, which is good in both ways. You can take it as encouraging. Like last episode, we were saying that, you know, what will happen 50 years from now, we can't even predict because new information is being found and scientists are doing so much more, but it's also like climate change is happening really fast. Human caused climate change. Right. And I know I had one, you're, you're saying you've been out of school with this atmospheric stuff. There was a graph I remember or a diagram. I remember seeing in one of my general wildlife classes that was looking at the prediction, I think from the Paris Climate Accord for 2050 mm-hmm. and what they thought was going to happen. And we have surpassed that, surpassed that oh, yeah. by far. And that was a prediction that they made being like, yeah, this is 2050. That's still 30 years from now. And it is already incorrect information. Right. And mm-hmm. I... We definitely need to be addressing this now, but it's also the fact of we needed to be addressing it a very long time ago as well, because it is changing really fast. So how do we kind of balance, balance that knowledge of like, (laughs) we're not working fast enough, but we also need to realize that we are learning still. I think that's just a general understanding of of science and the understanding that sometimes scientists are wrong and hypotheses get proven wrong. And And that is part of science. (laughs) That is a good thing because it spurs further discovery. Exactly. Yeah. Um, when, when scientists say something, it should not be taken as absolute. And this is the way it will be forever. Um, when they say something new in, in two years, you, you need to be able to, as just kind of a normal person, be able to accept it and say, okay, they now discovered in two years, things have changed. And so we have a different idea of it now and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be able to accept that change for what it is, which as human beings is a very difficult concept. Right, right. Change and, and is when, hard. Right. And when the people that you're being told to trust um, change. I think that's even harder. Right. Yeah. I've never thought of it that way of like the people that we're trusting to provide us with accurate information in a year from now, I say something different, um, which for you and I is very normal because we're coming into this with a scientific background. We understand our hypotheses and our null hypotheses, and Mm -hmm. we're trying to disprove this and what a theory is and all that. 
Um, but for the general populace, that's just being strung along and teased and then lied right. to. Yes. Which, um, going along with our atmospheric theme of today, mm-hmm. um, is the general thought of meteorologists in general, that they're always wrong. There is this, this idea of, um, actually, I just heard someone say this a few days ago. Uh, whatever the the weatherman that it, the term that was used, whatever the weatherman says, I believe the opposite. And I hear that a lot. Happens, yeah. And it's it's horrible because meteorologists are extremely smart. They yeah. they go through years of calculus and physics and yeah, you know, a lot of information. And to be a weatherman on TV, you typically need at least a master's degree. In yeah in meteorology or atmospheric studies. Um, so they know what they're doing, but weather is, weather is weather and yeah. it will, it will change. And that's the difference between weather and climate. Climate is going to change as we've seen at a more slower pace. I'm going to Right. It's changing over years, not over seconds. <laughs> right. Weather is, I mean, you, no one knows where this air current is going to go in the next two hours. I can predict it. They have all these amazing models out there. Right. But we just don't know. Right. And I, I still, sometimes I, as a scientist, I still find myself being like, so the weather says that it is going to rain today. It hasn't rained at all. Yep. So I'm not going <laughs> to plan on it raining, even though it says it's that, you know, so I do, I, I do that too. I know. Um, But there are times where I'm like still blown away by the fact that I can just, when I get up in the morning, pick up my phone and have a general idea, even if it is not pinpoint accurate, I still know, okay, there's a chance that it's going to rain today. So I'm going to bring my jacket, but I see that, you know, I don't need to be like freaking out and be like, batten down the hutches sort of craziness and I know that I should wear a t-shirt instead of a long sleeve shirt and I can have that idea at my fingertips that to me is still very astonishing um and I think that we definitely hyper focus on the ways that meteorologists are wrong yes do not give them enough credit for all of the incredible help that they have been yes exactly (laughs) So, so, uh, props to all the meteorologists out there. I apologize for occasionally being one of the crazy people who doesn't give you enough credit. (laughs) I totally do it too. (laughs) But yeah. So then as we're looking at all these, these storm events and being able to, you know, you're saying about your in-laws before uh, living on the coast and seeing the storm events and how that impacts their uh, land situation <laughs> and how we have a lot of ice storms around here now, which impacts the forest health and all that. Are there any, and this is truly not me just trying to stimulate the conversation, but truly, I don't know this. Um, but other than hairspray, <laughs> you talk, you, you're telling me that one. Are there things that we can do that specifically will impact weather in a positive way and maybe like it's not going to be noticeable because we are very small compared to the atmosphere but 
like the not using hairspray with CFCs in it, how that impacts the atmosphere. Like, right. Are there other things too that we could be doing that we're just not doing because us little people don't know? (laughs) That's an awesome question. I don't actually know of anything that specifically will impact the atmosphere. Um, hmm. And I want to say it might partially be because you, it's one of those things that you don't see the effects of until it's like really bad, like yeah. the ozone, the whole right. ozone layer. Like right. we didn't and know as an issue. learned about it. Right. Gotcha. Um, that is something I'll need to check into. Okay. Interesting. Cause I can, I can imagine as that generally ecologist, like everything, because everything is so interconnected, like eventually it'll work its way up. But at the same time, I'm just like, no, I want to know about the hairspray. I want to know like, okay, single use plastics has direct impacts on the Great Pacific garbage patch and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. But what has specific impacts on the atmosphere? Because like you're saying, it's all going to be trickling down. If I'm going to be a steward of the earth, I need to be a steward of the whole entire earth, not just what I can see, but what is above me as well. Exactly. I guess. um, So um, renewable resources. So solar solar panels, um, wind, if you wind turbines, Mm -hmm. using these uh, renewable resource energy sources Mm -hmm. um, would help bring down the amount of greenhouse gases that we are emitting into the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, While yes, we still typically need um, some sort of turbines to create the energy that we're, we're collecting from the sun or the wind or whatever other resource you're using, but the amount that you need for like a solar field is significantly right. less than you'd need, obviously, to run a gas right um, refinery. Like, yes, yeah. <laughs> where's the word refinery? Yeah, um, or or to obviously run a coal plant. Um, gotcha. That's a really so. good. That's a really good one because I think um, one of the things that I really appreciate here in Pennsylvania, uh, southeastern Pennsylvania, our power supplier is Pico. Um, when I was in the mountains, it was PPL. PPL. Yep. Um, so there are different suppliers, but something I've really appreciated about Pico is you can choose where you want to get your electricity from. So even though mm-hmm. I, as someone who is renting, I can't put solar panels up. However, I can select that my power comes from a wind generator. Exactly. And so I really appreciate that I can select that even though I physically cannot do the installations myself. One day I really want to do solar on yes, whatever house I have. Um, but I know I've been I, talking I, about it. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Cause you have a house now. I do. And I, yeah. well, and we're in an HOA. So on our walks, we're okay. in like other associations and I'm like, Hey, they have solar panels. Are we allowed to have solar panels? I know that's an issue with HOAs. It is. Ours is, we're in a pretty good uh, HOA. I I removed a bush 
like a really big dead ugly bush from my front yard and no one complained so that's I great Nice. Yeah. It's remarkable. What sort of like garden? Oh, I lived in an HOA at one point. I was renting a house there and they, I got fined for my curtains were too colorful. And I was like, listen, I like color. Okay. And then I got fined because I was overwintering my perennials. And so I specifically wrote back and included scientific scholarly articles of why I was overwintering my perennials. And then they were like, okay, you don't have to pay your hundred dollar fine. But I was like, what is this madness? <laughs> so I, I know that HOAs can be an issue. So that's really nice that you might have that feasibility. Awesome. Well, that's really good to think of. Um, Cause that wasn't a direct correlation that I had in my head. So, yeah, I needed a minute oh. to think about it. Yeah, no, but I appreciate that you, that you did. Uh, so for what it's worth, everybody who can be more conscientious about what sort of energy that you're using. And again, even if you don't own, think about where your power is coming from and maybe reach out to your provider to see if they offer different sources of, I know that I could choose from hydro or wind um, or just a like greener sort of energy provider, but you can check that out, give them a call, see what they have available and make that switch. If that is something that you could do, cause that would, you know, make, make the world a little greener and that would be great. So with that, thank you for digging deeper into the natural world with the art of ecology and with Sam Reba. If you enjoyed this week's episode, you can go and review and continue to follow along. Next week, we will be talking about a step down from the atmosphere. We started talking a little bit about storms and rain, and I made mention to the ocean currents. We'll be talking more about climate change and oceans, which Sam and I were very into marine biology, (laughs) so I can imagine that will be a really good episode you will want to stay tuned for. So Sam, anything to plug? Uh, Thinking about when you look at your uh, weather forecast, this is like a plug of knowledge that a lot of people don't know. When it gives you the the percentage for rain, that is not um, a percentage of, there's a 30% chance in the day it's going to rain. It just means when the conditions have been like this in the past, 30% of the time it rained. Most people see that as like, you know. There's a 30% chance it's going to rain today. Yes. No way. Think about it. Yep. Wow. I, I, my mind is blown by that fact. I didn't know that. That's so cool. Thank you. So that, that, so that percentage is like, when you think, when you wrap your brain around what that actually means, it's, a less chance than you probably think it is. Right. Yeah. The fact that on a day like today, it rained 30% of the time in these conditions that does not seem as, as high. Scary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, tidbit of knowledge. That is a really good tidbit of knowledge to have. Super cool. All right. I'm gonna, uh, not, I'm going to plug something cool too today. Uh, then cause I, I feel the need to compete with you. 
yeah. <laughs> as, as we do. It is your podcast. I feel I'm, like you should win. No, I mean, you are a permanent guest now on this mini series. So it's, it's we, um, but yeah, I just ever since childhood, if I had to compete with you, you know, it is, know. it is what it is. Um, so I'm going to plug cloud spotter, which is the weather ID picture app, um, that I found for my little class and, it looks really cool. It is advertised as being able to identify clouds as well as light events. So I thought that was really interesting. You could take a picture of a rainbow and it would tell you about the rainbow, or you could take a picture of the Corona around the moon, I believe it is. And it would tell you more about that. Um, and on their website, CloudSpotter, I believe, cloudspotter.org, I believe it goes in there's a series of TED talks by the founder who goes into a lot of information about meteorological events and the AI that was developed to identify these things. So it was it was really cool. It was a little above me. Um but it it answered my students question and I thought if I were to uh, get more into observing the clouds that could be a really cool tool to have in my back pocket. So that check out Cloud awesome. Spotter. It, Cloud Spotter is the app. If you search that in the app store, it is free to download. Um, I have an Android. I believe my student had an iPhone and that was totally okay. So if you go and search Cloud Spotter, and I'll also put that in the podcast description as well. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for more tips and eco-inspiration. You can check out my website, www.theartofecology.com. You can also find me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And with that, I will see you next time for episode three of this mini-series, where Sam and I talk about climate change and oceans. Bye, y'all.